In the holy name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. None of us likes conflict, and yet human life involves so much conflict. We would think that the Church, as followers of the Prince of Peace, would be free of conflict, but it sometimes seems the opposite is true. How often does the Church end up being at the center of conflict? From the disciples arguing over who is the greatest among them to the current controversies of our day, the Church has always been mired in conflict. It was no different for St. Hilda of Whitby. As the founder of Whitby Abbey, she was familiar with conflict. Only the most romantic among us believes that the lives of monks and nuns are free of conflict. After all, here's a group of people who live with each other 24-7 and hold deep religious views. Sound familiar? And yet, St. Hilda was lauded by the Venerable Bede as graced with gifts of justice and prudence. During the controversy that led to the Synod of Whitby, St. Hilda stood with the Celtic Christians in desiring to retain their dating system for Easter. However, when the final decision was made in favor of the Roman Christians, she was a source of unity for the Church and receiving that decision with humility and grace. Sometimes disagreements end well, but oftentimes they end in conflict. Let's begin with making a distinction between disagreements and conflict. Disagreements are inevitable. It is impossible for two individuated egos to ever agree on something 100% of the time. Just ask anyone who is or ever has been in a committed relationship. Disagreements will happen. I know with absolute certainty that if I could clone myself, I would end up disagreeing with my clone. I disagree with myself, depending on the day. It's just part of being an ego that changes with time. Conflicts, though, are deeper than disagreements. We can disagree on something and not end up in a conflict. For example, you can say that the proper order to watch the Star Wars movies is to begin with episode one, The Phantom Menace, and proceed from there, and I will disagree with you, perhaps even vigorously, that one must begin with the classic episode four, A New Hope. But that disagreement is unlikely to turn into an outright conflict. We can have an impassioned discussion about the merits of our respective cases and still walk away good friends. Disagreements become conflicts when they become personal. Disagreements become conflicts when they wound us in some way. Maybe someone in the disagreement uses a personal insult or an ad hominem attack. Maybe our trustworthiness, loyalty, or honesty, or some other character trait is called into question. Maybe some aspect of our identity, be that racial, ethnic, gender, sexuality, or some other aspect, is attacked. In some way or another, the disagreement took a turn toward the personal, and now it's a conflict. And conflicts always grow. 
Sometimes they escalate into physical violence, and physical violence escalates into a series of attacks, and a series of attacks can escalate into war. Sometimes conflicts don't grow by physicality, but rather by spreading through a community. What started as a disagreement between two people very quickly becomes a conflict involving an entire community. The author of Ephesians, writing in the name of Paul, understands the danger that conflict can have on a community and the need for unity. Unity, not uniformity. Unit, uniformity expects all of us to think alike and to agree on everything, which is frankly impossible. Unity expects disagreements, they're inevitable. But unity calls us back from conflict to reconciliation. When a disagreement has turned into a conflict, we are called back through humility and gentleness. Our culture, especially here in America, does not value humility and gentleness. They are considered signs of weakness not to be tolerated. Only the mighty will prevail is often the motto of our age. And no wonder then that that mentality has crept into the church as well. But humility and gentleness call us back to our humanity. They remind us that we're all human. We're all sinners. We're all finite. None of us has all the answers. None of us has all the resources. None of us has all the talent. We are all of the earth, humble. When I'm called back to humility and gentleness, I recognize these truths, and they help me recognize my own humanity in the situation and accept the humanity of others. Patience is another key component to unity. I will readily admit to my struggles with patience. I want change, and I want it now. Things need to happen on my timetable because I've invested a lot of time and energy into creating this timetable, these many, many timetables, in fact. And any disturbance in a timetable is like the toppling of a domino. Down they all go. But life doesn't work on my timetable. We'd like to say that life works on God's timetable. Some theologies do suggest that God has some sort of timetable all mapped out in exacting detail with every nanosecond accounted for. And I'll admit I find that view rather appealing to a certain extent with my super Janus that I have. But I do wonder if the more expansive views of God that suggest God has less of a detailed timetable and more like trajectories or ideas, visions, maybe even dreams, might be closer to the truth. Nonetheless, what is clear is that when I'm called back to patience, I am called back to unity. Now, I must admit that I wish the writer had just stopped here. I mean, isn't this enough? I'm called to be humble and gentle with those whom I'm in conflict and also to be patient. Surely that is enough. Need we go on? Well, apparently we do, because we are also called to bear one another in love. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Bear one another in love? I mean, I can almost hear kumbaya beginning to play. But the Greek word translated bear is translated differently in other places. For example, in Matthew 17, 17, Jesus says, you faithless and perverse generation, 
How much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? In other words, sometimes we must put up with each other. If, we're tired, if we've tried being humble and gentle and we've tried being patient, we sometimes get to the point where we just have to put up with each other, but not in a grumbling and resentful manner, not like the infamous feuding parishioners who won't even smile at each other over a grievance decades old. No, we're to put up with each other in love. And I don't know about you, but I find that very challenging. I don't want to just put up with someone with whom I'm in conflict. I want to either resolve the conflict or I want to banish the person. I want to send them into relational exile so I don't have to deal with them anymore. This bearing one another in love, it's not a passive decision either. The writer continues, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So I'm not being called to passively wait until the conflict somehow resolves itself magically, which never happens, by the way. We may think that certain conflicts will just go away, but they never do without some form of reconciliation. The seeds of the conflict can remain buried in our hearts even when we think the conflict has been forgotten. That's why we are called to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We are, we're called to action. But what actions can we take? Sometimes our choices are limited. If the person with whom we have a conflict doesn't want to resolve it with us, sometimes the only action we can take is prayer. But that's a powerful action to take. When we lift someone up in prayer, we remain connected with them. You can't banish someone into relational exile and pray for them at the same time. Perhaps over time, the Spirit can work to open up avenues for conversation and maybe even reconciliation. Being a member of the body of Christ inherently means we are called to unity. When conflicts inevitably occur, we are called to reconciliation. Even though the body of Christ may appear to be divided, it is one. If we look with the eyes of the eschaton, we see the unity of the body of Christ. I have a pet theory that much of what we will be doing in heaven is unfinished reconciliation work. If we think death will somehow get us out of the work of reconciliation, I think we're in for a surprise. Thankfully, though, Thankfully, God offers us abundant grace in this work. We're not called to do it alone or in our own power, because that would be impossible. But we are called to live in unity with one another. Amen.